Thank you, Chris, and praise team as they have led us today and continue to pray for Chad and Tara as she recovers from her surgery of a couple of weeks, and we anticipate Chad being back and leading next week in worship. Uh, It's good to see you today. We've been talking about the mysteries of Ephesians, and uh, nobody else got that, okay. Good, you haven't got it, so that's great. Um, Okay. We've been talking about the mysteries of Ephesians, and today we look at chapter 6 and look at the last... There we go, there's a delayed reaction there, that's good. Um, we'll talk about that more later, maybe. Uh, we, we enter into chapter 6, and the last of these mysteries that Paul is teaching and sharing us. But as we step back and as we consider the, the, the entire sum of the letter... What are those key mysteries that we have certainly not explored and so that they're no longer mysteries any longer, but the mysteries that we are beginning to really uh, grapple with and and begin to understand the the mystery of, of predestination and that it's in Christ Jesus that we have found salvation. The mystery of incarnation, of how did, how did God become man and come and live among us? And, and we've talked about some of these mysteries, but I think as we step back, the key mystery that we want to understand as we've looked through the, the, the book of the letter of Ephesians is in Ephesians 2, verse 5. It says, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sin, is another way that Paul says it. You were dead in your trespasses is that we were spiritually dead, but through the mystery of Christ, through the the grace of Christ, you and I, those who are in Christ Jesus, have been made alive again. And we've searched and we've explored the, the meaning of that and tried to begin to work through some of the layers of that. And then one of the ways that, that Paul began to help us understand this mystery is by talking about the mystery of the new self. That we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That we are to, to take off the old self and put on the new self. And one of the ways that Paul develops and and, uh, commits a lot of emphasis to in the book of Ephesians and the new self is how we walk. For you see, for for Paul, the Christian life is about a journey. It's about a, a destination. It's an adventure, if you would. It's a life that has a beginning point, a point of becoming in Christ, of being born again, if you would, but then a life that continues on. At First Baptist, we talk about that our our mission is to love people, to teach the Word, and to live the journey of life and faith together. To live the journey of life and faith together is this same idea of learning to walk in our faith. To walk each and every day in Christ. Listen to the ways that Paul develops this throughout the book of Ephesians. He says we're to walk in good works. He says we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, and that walk includes walking in gentleness, in humility, in patience, in unity, and in love. Paul says we're to walk in this way, and we're to not walk in the way of the Gentiles. We're to not walk in the way we used to walk. We're to not walk in the way of those who have yet to discover their salvation in Christ Jesus. We are to walk 
in a manner worthy of Christ. We're not to walk the way we used to walk. We're to walk in love as Christ loved us. We're to walk as children of light, not as children of darkness whose, whose minds are still darkened, but rather to walk as children whose minds and lives have been enlightened by Christ Jesus. And finally, Paul says, we're to walk as wise men and women, not as men and women that don't have any wisdom at all. Paul wants us to understand that the mystery of the new self is the mystery that takes us day in and day out of walking, of journeying with Christ Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, then Paul develops this idea of taking off the old self. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. But then we have to assume our part. Our part is walking. But our part is also recognizing and acknowledging the, the old things, the old way of life, and, and taking those dirty, clothing, that, those dirty clothes off of us and take them off and throw them away, to, to put them aside, to recognize that that, that old way of life, there's, there's a stench to it. And we need to take it off so that why? So that our minds can begin to be renewed. And as our minds are renewed, that's the, the practice of then putting on, of putting on Christ, of putting on goodness instead of anger, of putting on forgiveness and compassion and kindness instead of wrath, instead of vengeance, instead of slander. So we're to walk in this new way of life by putting on that which Christ has given us, actively committing ourselves to do that as we walk and taking off that which no longer belongs in our life. And so as we come to this sixth chapter, starting in verse 10, Paul says, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord. Finally, be strong. And he says, and we need to be strong. Why? Because our battle, in verse 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but rather our battle is against spiritual forces, against spiritual forces of darkness and of wickedness. And we need to understand that a lot of times the, the, the battles that we encounter, the, the spiritual forces that we encounter are just as real as the physical things that we can see with our eyes and we can touch with our hands. But there's a, a, a deeper battle, a, a spiritual battle that's going on in our lives as well. And we need to be strong and to stand against that battle as well. If you would, I know we're in Ephesians chapter 6, but turn with me back to Romans chapter 8. I think Romans 8 kind of illustrates what I'm speaking about. In verse 35, Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says... Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on, he says, Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, he says, okay, who's going to separate us? And then it seems to me that he starts talking about things. Well, tribulation, famine, persecution, nakedness, peril, the sword, those are, those are things, aren't they? Well, look at the pronoun that Paul is introducing that idea and concept with. He says, who will separate us? What are, what are the personal forces? What are the, the persons that will try to separate us from God? 
And so the way I interpret and understand verse 35, and, and we'll read 38 and 39 in just a second, is that there are, are spiritual forces that we encounter. And some of the names of those spiritual forces are tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and the sword. There certainly are physical expressions of those, but there's also the spiritual expression. And Paul is saying, who is going to separate us from God? And the good news, verse 38, for I am concerned that neither death nor life, and I think again he's continuing in this idea of spiritual forces, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what spiritual forces of evil and of darkness are ultimately going to separate us from God? And Paul says nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, that have received his gift of grace through faith, are those now that in Ephesians chapter 6, as we go back there, are those that Paul says, stand strong. Be strong in the Lord. And the way we're going to be strong is we're going to stand firm. Now, in, in that interesting, Paul has spent the whole letter, the whole first five chapters and, ten, and nine verses, talking about how we're to walk, right? How we're to walk in our faith. How we're to enjoy and to, to take upon this life journey and of growing and maturing and, and walking in goodness and kindness and the love of God, in imitating God as we walk. To the Corinthians, Paul says that we're running the race. And Paul at other times says that when it comes to idolatry and when it comes to sexual immorality, that we're to flee. We're not just to run, we're to run fast, Right? That there are times in the, in the Christian faith and that we're to walk and we're to run and we're to flee. But notice what Paul says here. He changes the tone completely and totally. He says we're to be strong. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against spiritual forces of darkness and of wickedness. And he says there is a time when we need to quit walking and we need to quit running and we need to quit fleeing and we need to stand firm. We need to stand our ground. We need to get together. And, and again, Paul's not talking about individuals. He's talking about the church at Ephesus. He's talking about the people of God. And that the people of God are to stand firm. Now, I think what he's reminding us is that we can't stand firm by ourselves in the sense that we can't stand firm without God. We, we stand firm in God. And so whenever we would try to stand firm against the, 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 the forces of, of evil and of darkness and of wickedness, we, we can't stand firm without God. But we also can't stand firm without each other. We need each other in order to stand firm against these forces that come against us. So Paul, in, in summarizing, is saying, okay, church, as you encounter these spiritual forces in, in your community and in the world and the culture around you, then you need to learn how to stand firm together, to be a community and a family together. 
And then he goes on, and in verses 10 through 14, he's going to tell us how we stand firm. And the first thing he's going to begin to tell us is in order to stand firm, you have to be ready. You have to prepare yourself. You have to put on, remember he's been talking about putting on Christ. You have to put on your armor. You have to put on the spiritual tools and defenses that are going to allow you to stand firm. I remember, gosh, it was, I think, I think where I grew up, we started playing tackle football in sixth grade. I think we played flag football before then. And I remember that first time, it was the first time we we're getting ready for practice. And I got to put on my pads and put on these, these pants and you put them on and, and they had pads on your knees and over your thighs and, and over your backbone. And you put them on and oh, you felt good. You pounded your thighs and you were protected and you were ready. And then you got to put on your shoulder pads, right? You put on those big old shoulder pads and you tried to get a shirt that was big enough to put over them and you pounded those pads and oh, you were ready. And then it, your shoes. Remember the first time you put cleats on? And you thought you were the fastest person in the world because now I can run really fast. And so you put your shoes on and you were ready to go. And then, oh, don't, don't forget that helmet, right? And you put that helmet on and you've got your helmet and your shoulder pads and, and, and your, your thigh pads and knee pads and, and your shoes and your cleats and you're ready to go. But guess what? There's no way that I could have stood firm against 11 other guys. I know you might not believe that, but, but the truth is, is I, I, needed, I needed a team, right? I needed 10 other guys. And, and I've always kind of been gifted with this kind of body, so that meant in sixth grade I got to play on the line. I played, uh, I didn't play left out necessarily, but I played on the left side of the line on offense and defense. And, and you know what I'm talking about if you've been there. You, you had on your, your helmet and your pads and, and on defense. You were ready to stand firm and nothing was going to get through you and your, your teammates as the four or five of you across the line. You built a wall. And you dared the other team to come through you because you were going to stand firm and they weren't going to get by you. And conversely on the offense, the, the offensive line. You know you could move anyone out of the way because you had your helmet and your pads on and your cleats were going to give you that traction and you're going to be able to bust through the line and, and make a hole for the running back. Why? Because you were equipped. You had your uniform on and you were ready to stand firm. You're ready to, to win and to beat your opponent because you were properly equipped and attired. And Paul has drawn the same analogy for us, except he's talking about the, the Roman military, which, which was ever-present in that culture and in that world. And everyone knew what the Roman army looked like and how they equipped themselves with their armor. And how when the Roman army came together in their formations, and when they stood firm, that no other army in the world could move them. And no rebellion could move them because they were standing firm together. And Paul is offering this same instruction to us. We must come together and stand firm to fight against these spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness. Look around us. Those same forces are all around us. 
They're still wreaking havoc in our families, in our community today. And Paul's wisdom to us is the same in verses 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. He tells us the armor, the uniform that we're to put on, beginning with the belt of truth. You know what the belt was for? The, the belt was to, to gird up all the things on your, on your body around your legs and to tighten it up so that you didn't trip and fall all over yourself in battle. And if you didn't have that belt on, you were in trouble because you'd be just tripping and falling all over the, all over the place. It's the same thing with truth. Truth is that which girds us, which allows us to not get tangled up and to trip and to fall so easily. Look around us in our, in our world. We've, we've given truth away. Truth is whatever you want to believe it to be. And look at our culture. And look at the way we are tripping and falling all over ourselves. It's because we're pursuing all kinds of different things. And we get tangled up and we fall all over the place. Paul says that we've got to gird up ourselves with truth. And he goes on and he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I've been told that righteousness is a, is a hard concept for us to understand today. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but simply to say that righteousness means to do what's right, what's just. Rightness. Rightness with each other, rightness with God. And rightness is that which protects our heart, our intent. And so we're to, to gird ourselves with truth and we're to protect ourselves with His rightness. We're to put peace on our feet as we stand firm, as Paul would say, as long as it's up to us, we're going to pursue peace with all men, all women. We're going to stand firm in peace. Paul continues on, he talks about the shield of faith that we carry with us, the shield that distinguishes those flaming arrows that come towards us, those criticisms that come towards us, those offensive things that come our way. It's our faith that absorbs those things and protects us and allows us to stand firm in that place. And just as in football, that helmet protects, protects your brain, your ability to think. So the helmet of salvation is critical to us. We're to, to put on the, the helmet of salvation because the helmet of salvation is that which begins to enlighten our minds. To help us to understand and to grow in truth. And so we put on the helmet of salvation. And then we carry with us God's word. God's word in, in the armor of God analogy is, is the sword that we have. It's that which we can use to respond to the, to the untruths, to the wickedness, to the unrighteousness of the world in which we stand. It's God's word. It's, it's the, the sword of God's word that allows us to speak into other people's hearts and lives. That penetrates through the callousness. The scripture says in Hebrews 4 the, that the word of God penetrates into the deepest parts of our hearts and of, even to our bone marrow. And so we carry God's word with us as we share and as we respond to that which comes our way. We are called to stand firm. It'd be foolish to think you could go out on any football team and go out without any kind of protection, any kind of pads. 
and feel like you could stand firm. You're going to get mowed over and you're probably going to get hurt really bad. The same is true for us as Christians today. Is that when we choose to try to stand against the enemies of light, against the forces of darkness and of wickedness, we are at their mercy when we don't stand firm in the armor of God. And so Paul says, stand firm. Put on, place on the armor that I've given you of truth, of righteousness, of peace, of faith, of salvation, and of my word. When you stand firm together in me, then you will be strong and you will have victory. And Paul continues. He continues on in verse 19 and 20. And he says that we need to pray for each other. We need to pray at all times. We need to be alert for each other. We need to persevere as we're standing firm, as the attacks come against us. And we need to stand firm and we need to pray for each other that we can boldly proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? That Paul here in these last verses of this letter talks again about the mystery of the gospel. The mysteries that he's been sharing throughout this letter. He summarizes by saying, be in prayer for me. Be in prayer for each other. As we have the privilege and opportunity to proclaim and share the good news, the mystery of Jesus Christ. Again, what is that mystery? That mystery is that in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, we can have salvation. What else is that mystery? The mystery is that that Good news of salvation is for you and for me. It's not just for for Abraham's people. It's for anyone, whosoever will come, can enter into the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a message to boldly proclaim, but we must learn to stand firm. We must learn to persevere and to pray for each other. This morning... We celebrate together the mystery of the gospel through the Lord's Supper. In a few moments, we'll take bread. Bread which represents the body of Christ. The body of Christ which was broken and punished for our sin. Jesus took our punishment, our brokenness on so that we might be redeemed and healed. As you, as you partake, as you, you hold this unleavened bread in just a moment, remember the brokenness of Christ. And then we look to the cup. The cup symbolizing the cup of the new covenant. The blood of Christ shed on the cross. The blood which brings forgiveness and cleansing and healing from our own sin and our own brokenness. As you hold the cup in a few moments, reflect on the cleansing power and nature, the blood of Christ, as it cleanses and renews and brings life to these formerly dead bodies and lives. As is our custom at First Baptist, we invite all who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to participate and share in this supper with us. So as our deacons come and as they begin to prepare to share and to serve the Lord's Supper, I would ask each of you to enter into a time of prayer, of confession, of preparation to receive the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.